0: This morning, we have a uh, guest speaker with us. His name is Mitch Schultz. Mitch is here with his wife, um, Elaine. Mitch and Elaine have been married, I think, for about 32 years is what I heard, a, a long time. And Mitch has been involved as a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance for um, just about that length of time as well. Uh, currently, Mitch and Elaine live in North Carolina. Mitch. Um, is a part of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, where he counsels and mentors uh, fellow pastors. And so Mitch is here this morning to be our um, guest speaker uh, moving toward uh, the ordination service that um, will happen at the end of our time together this morning. So Mitch, if you want to go ahead and come on up, um, thank you very much for being here this morning and uh, looking forward to hearing God's word from Mitch. Thank you. Good morning. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter four. This is a passage I believe Pastor Jeremy has been uh, working through, and uh, he had suggested this as a passage to preach from. And when I I found that it resonated with what I wanted to say, uh, when I was asked to come here, this is a great place to to be. Uh, Let me make a statement. It it comes from Oswald Chambers. I've this is sort of uh, just adapted. Um, When we abandon ourselves to Jesus, we don't do it so that we get something out of it. We, the one who gets the most out of it is Jesus when we abandon ourselves to him. And, and of course, we benefit from that because he gives us life. He gives us abundant life. Uh, so hold on to that, and then I'll refer to that again towards the end. What I want to do this morning by looking at uh, Luke cha- or Matthew chapter f- uh, uh, 4. Did I say Luke early on? I said Matthew, right? Okay, it's Matthew if I said Luke. Uh, chapter 4, 18 through 22 is it, talk about why we do this, why this exists here. What, what drove you this morning to get up a little earlier, pack your kids into the car or maybe your husband in the car, and you came here to church to do this? Why are you here? Why, why do you worship? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we do this? Uh, before we do this, I want to tell you a story. My parents love to remind me of a time when I was four or five years old and I was full of questions. Uh, I, I would ask questions about everything. And one time I, I had this kind of conversation with my dad. Dad, who made, Daddy, who made our dog? Jesus made our dog. Well, who made our cats? Well, Jesus made the cat, Mitch. Well, who made our refrigerator? Well, the factory made the refrigerator. Okay, well, who made the tree out there? Jesus made the tree. Who made my brother? Uh, Jesus made the brother. What about the lawnmower? Well, that came from the factory. So by the time I was five, everything was broken down to two categories, the factory and Jesus. One day, my father caught me doing something I should not have been doing, probably the only time ever. And he sat down with me, and he said, Mitch, what you did was Wrong. And Jesus is very unhappy with you. I immediately blurted out and said, "I want to know what the factory says about it." I want to tell you this morning that everything you do here is from Jesus. It's about Jesus, and it's for Jesus." Uh, Paul described that beautifully in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, when he wrote, "For from him and through him and for him are all things. He alone is the, the heart and the essence of why you come here, why you are urged to live out your faith, why you are urged to live out the principles of Scripture. Uh, He is the reason why Pastor Jeremy has been called to do what he does and why the other staff members and why you also are called to be part of this movement here called Redemption Church. If you look at this passage, Jesus is the reason why Again, Matthew, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. I'm going to give you a different reference every time. But he's the reason why we are called to leave everything and, and to follow him. He's the reason why the disciples, when called to follow Jesus, they drop what they do and they go with him in verse 20 and 22. Jesus is the reason why from then on their lives are about catching people, not just fish, any longer. They had no idea what it would mean what it would cost them and where it would take them, but they did it because it was all about him. It's all about Jesus. And I want to understand that better this morning. I want to be reminded, this is a simple message. I want to be reminded of this and the clutter and the busyness of everything we do. It's about him. So let's read this, if you would stand with me, Matthew chapter 4. 18 through 22, and then I'm going to have you turn to Mark 9, 7 and 8 just for one or a couple verses there. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Mark chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. Mark 9, 7 and 8. And a cloud overshadowed them, And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for what you've called this church to be and what you've called them to do. Thank you for the individual lives here who have been called to be mothers, fathers, workers. And I pray this morning we'd be brought together like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration where everything just kind of fades and we're just reminded it's all about Jesus. Help us to understand that. Thank you for your presence here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm finding as I'm getting older that life is becoming simpler. Uh, And I like that because many years, particularly when I was pastoring, uh, it was so cluttered. Maybe it was the people. I don't know. But I look back over my life. it was cluttered. It was busy. I was so distracted. I love what Paul writes to his friends in, in Corinth when he tells them what matters to him. He said, "I resolved nothing while I was with you, except Christ and him crucified." I long for that. So as you have the Matthew 4 open here, the first thing you notice in this story is so obvious beginning in verse 18, how Jesus is the center of attention in this story. He's the center of attention of the entire gospel. He's the center of attention of all the gospels. He's the center of attention of the Old Testament. He's the center of attention of the entire New Testament. Don't gloss over what is going on in verse 18. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Most of his parables were taught at the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was Galilee. He made his home there. Half of of his miracles were performed around the Sea of Galilee. But wow, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. God is walking again with us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and has dwelt with us. The last time God walked with man, everything was so different. Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God, but that changed. When they sinned, it changed. It damaged that. It affected it. But here, God is back. He's returned. He's walking with man again. This is Jesus, sent by God, who came down here and walks with us, a real human being, complete human being, but while also completely human, was also completely God. He's here with us. He literally walked in this earth, on this earth. And right here in verse 18, you see him walking where there were a lot of people. This was a center of activity. People with addictions, people who were suffering, people who were sinful, people who were hurt, damaged, lost, lonely, depressed. He walked with them. People who were abused. And, and here you have the, the, the kind of the first inkling of what John captured when he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world... That he gave, he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what's going on here. In the rest of verse 18, he narrows his focus down to several men because he's going to call them and empower them and fill them with a spirit to continue to do what he has done. And he comes to two brothers who are fishermen. Verse 18, suddenly their lives change from being about a lot of things to being about what? One thing. One thing only, Jesus. I resolve, resolve to know nothing while I'm with you except Jesus. Everything you do here is about Jesus. Did I say that already? I think I might have said that already a couple times. Every, this is all about him. Can I remind you for just a moment that this Jesus who shows up here in verse 18, 2,000 years ago, now dwells here by his Holy Spirit's in this church, but also in you as a believer. And everything you do because of that is, is about him. He is the center of it all. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Could you turn there or just listen to this? Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but they're not the focus, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. He's the center. He's the founder and perfecter of your faith. He's the reason why you've come to him. It was his idea. He was the author of it. He's also the one who's perfecting it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, spising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And now, because of that, everything you do, everything that you're about is all about Jesus. And we know what happened from here on. He did this for three years. Walked with people, healed people, loved people, taught people, confronted. He was arrested for it because some people cannot handle walking with God. Some people cannot handle walking with Jesus because it exposes us. People don't like being around Jesus because it brings out their rebellion. That is still true. It's why people still are rejecting Jesus today. Uh, Just kind of an encouragement for you as a church. It's not because you're not doing well enough in a church. Or maybe you could do something with a little bit more flair and be maybe a little bit more relevant and maybe more people will come to Jesus. By and large, people get to know Jesus first when they look at themselves. The Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and they realize, wow, I'm in big trouble. Something is innately wrong with me. I'm damaged, I'm sinful, I'm separated from God. And when people are overwhelmed with that, then they're drawn to Jesus, and that's when their lives are changed. This leads to something else. If you look back at verse 18 on, there's a second reason here we do this. It's all because of Jesus. But now why are we doing this? Or maybe we need to ask, why did he come? So you have the who, he's the center of attention, but why? It's because of the gospel. It's because of a message. And we know from John 1, 1, Jesus is that message. He gave a message, but he's also the message. Jesus even says so in chap- Mark chapter 1, verse 15, a powerful verse that kind of sets the theme and tone of his ministry. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Look at verse 17 in the chapter you're in. You're on uh, Matthew chapter 4. From this time on Jesus began to what? Preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." In other words, what he's saying is, "I've come to change all of this, the brokenness." But the way to it is by way of repentance. And the rest of Jesus' ministry was about that message. The gospel is a message, it's a call to repentance. To stop living one way, for yourself, and abandon all of that and now live for him. And, and, and Jesus came to make that possible because on our, on our own, you know this, we cannot do it. It is by his power working in us. Every one of you here have been invited by Jesus to join in that one mission, which is a message, a simple message, one purpose, and it's the gospel. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me. Why? I will make you fishers of men. Why? Here's why, because men and women and children have a problem. They are fallen. They are lost in a, this is the the analogy of fishing here, it's a beautiful one, because people are lost in a sea, in in an ocean, a world of sin. They're damaged by sin. They're, They're by nature separated from God. And I'm reminded here that before we can ever talk about how wonderful you are to God, and how we're made in his image, and how we're just beautiful sons and daughters, that we need to first talk about how that image has been damaged. Because of sin. And I wonder if the reason why Jesus uses this this idea of, of fishing here is because the disciples knew, and you also know if you've ever fished, that when you catch fish and it comes out of the water, what's the first thing you see happening? There's a death taking place. A death takes place. It's so easy in our desire to talk to people about Jesus to say to them, you're wonderful. Stop feeling so badly about yourself. Stop having such a bad identity. Remember, you're a son and daughter, but we don't ever talk about why they're like this. It's because they're ruined and damaged because of sin. The gospel first addresses that. There has to be a death, an awareness of a death, before we can talk about life. But we have to see that death. Ephesians 2, verse 1, powerful verse. It, it says this, As for you, you were dead, in your transgressions and sins. And it says that before it says this in verse 5, even when you were dead in our sins, God made us alive in who? Christ Jesus. Again, it's all because of him. Uh, can I bring up another illustration from my childhood? You're not going to say no to that, so I don't know why I asked you permission. Uh, one time, I think I was three or four years old, I guess that's when all my problems happened, but my parents walk into the kitchen and I'm sitting there on the floor, uh, just seated, and there's a huge sugar bowl, and it's turned over, and there's sugar everywhere. And my parents look at me, and I look up and immediately said, I didn't do it. Denial. Denial. Sin has separated every human being from God. We have to accept that first. Jesus came, walked by the Sea of Galilee. Was a picture of the world. Where people were, broken, hurting people. Why? Because they were damaged by sin. It's why Jesus came, and it it was his one mission to restore what had been lost in Eden. I came to save and seek that which was lost, he says. The last time God walked with man, it was so different than what you have here in verse 18. Man had once walked with God freely, communed with him, fellowshiped with him. That's all been restored because of what we're going to celebrate but for a long time, it wasn't like that. Man was dead, like fish out of water, like man removed from God's presence. It's death. Man could no longer walk with God in his presence. So instead, what does he do? God came here to us. And, and something is going to happen that's unbelievable. At the cross... God transformed our sin on him. And then this makes me shudder. The anger and wrath of God over my sin, which has never changed. Your sinful condition was then placed on Jesus. And because of it, Romans 8 1 says you are no longer under condemnation because Jesus took it for you. And then he rose again. And as he did, he showed that we too were experience new life. And, and then those who come to Jesus who admit that they did it, who agree with God that there's a problem, a serious problem that will lead outside of Christ, leads to eternal death. His righteousness is then transferred over to us. So now as God sees me, he no longer sees the sinfulness, the sinful condition but instead he sees what Christ Jesus has done for us. It's amazing what happened at the cross. Instead of punishing us, he punished his son. He who knew no sin became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, or as Donald Trump would say, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus comes to certain men here, chosen by God, calls them to stop fishing for fish, but instead their life would now be about fishing for men, to tell them that there's a problem, that there's a death. In Adam all die. Romans 5:12. But Jesus came here on earth, and He did something about it. And suddenly, everything we are about when we follow Jesus, abandonment from here on is about Him, nothing more. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 or 1:23 says, "We preach Him. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's the message. That's it." Follow Jesus and you become a fish or a man. It becomes that. Just real quickly, uh, everything you do is about him, the who. Why do we do it? Because of the gospel. But finally, everything we do here is worth giving up everything else for. Uh, Jim Elliott was a missionary who was martyred in the late 50s to South America as he reached the Aka Indians, and he's well known for this phrase, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he ultimately cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Look at verse 21 and then what happens in verse 22. Immediately they left their boat and their father and what? Follow Jesus. Why? Because the gospel, the message, the mission, the man compelled them. They, They had no idea what it would mean, where it would take them, what it would cost them, and it did cost them. But the very simple fact that Jesus called them to it was enough. They did it. It was worth it to them. Sometimes I wonder, had I known early on what it would mean to follow Jesus, would I have chosen to follow Jesus? As I look back over my life, had I known what it would mean, would I have chosen to follow Jesus? When I came to Jesus at the age of six, I was not given a promise. Other than eternal life. But that was it. No one, no one says, Mitch, if you do this, your life from here on will go really well. Guaranteed. No one told me that. You'll be blessed. That, that offer is very common today. Come to Christ, everything will fall into place. It's oftentimes the opposite because it puts us against the world. When I, when I came to Christ, I just knew I was a sinner. Separated from God, and I would experience eternal death had Jesus not taken on himself my sin, and had God not, not taken his anger on him, it would have been on me. I knew it. So as a six-year-old, it was, it was clear to me. Uh, no one said to me, you will be blessed, you'll be successful. I spent four years of my preteen years into, into my teen years undergoing severe depression. I was hospitalized for it. We moved to Atlanta. I was under, we were, my parents were missionaries overseas. I was under psychiatric care. No one told me that would have happened or that that would happen. But I knew Jesus because it was all about him. I leaned on him and followed him. He, he is honestly what kept me going through those tough years. Ten years into missionary work in Europe, my wife had emergency brain surgery And just to save her life, she lost everything. She's been uh, wonderfully improving, 17 years of continuing improvement, regaining what had lost. No one told us that would happen. But we knew Jesus, and we leaned on him and kept following him. Three weeks after that, we came back to the States, and my oldest son was diagnosed with brain cancer, and he lived only 10 months He went to be with Jesus at the age of 12. No one told me that was going to happen. But we knew Jesus, and we leaned on him, and we kept following him. Six years ago, my youngest son was diagnosed with cancer, also at the age of 12. No one told me that was going to happen. But I knew Jesus, and I leaned on him and kept following him. Listen, the thought of fishing men for eternity mattered more to these men after this day than just fishing fish for one day. They still fished. You see in the Gospels, they still fished. That's not really what they did. They fished to fish for men. And they were willing to face anything and go anywhere because of the one who had called them to follow him, And they abandoned everything, not for anything they could get out of it. The one who received the most out of that was Jesus. These men, in verse 20 and 22, immediately left everything, which means there was no compromise, no concession, no negotiating. They left everything and followed him. Let me end with this illustration. Not long ago, uh, Ravi Zachariah told the story of going back to his homeland of India and he visited a man who had survived the terrible terrorist attack in, in Mumbai, India, formerly Bombay, at the Taj Mahal uh, Hotel. And you might remember this, I think it was 2007. A, a group of terrorists entered into the city, stormed into the hotel, and randomly killed everyone in front of them. And, and this man had been in a room when the terrorists burst into that particular room with, with guns firing, he hit the ground knowing he would die, But after the situation calmed down, he found himself alive. Everyone else was dead in that room. There was blood everywhere. And Ravi asked the man, why did they not shoot you? And the man replied, I really don't know, but I think when they saw me on the ground, they passed me because I was covered with blood, and they thought that I was dead. The man paused and then said this to Ravi Zachariah, Ravi, I was covered by someone else's blood, and I was spared. And Ravi, as he tells this story, finishes with this. He says, folks, that is the gospel. You and I are covered by someone else's blood, and no one can touch us. We're not only spared from death, but we're also given life because of it. That's the gospel. It's why you're here. It's why this church exists. It's why... Pastor Jeremy stands here and preaches this message, this word, and also why, you're going to see in a few moments, it's so important to us what he has committed to do and what he's been called to do as as he's ordained this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll transition into communion. Father, you've reminded us today that it's Jesus only. And for the next few moments, we're going to... Remember, Jesus standing with his disciples and inviting them to take, to accept, to embrace a death, his death, in our place. And I I pray if anyone this morning here, Lord, has not truly understood their condition before you as separated and eternally separated and under condemnation, that they would be so overwhelmed by the invitation this morning that they would run to you. And say, Lord, I repent. I see this death, but I see your death, and I see the life that comes by way of your death. I invite you. And I give myself to you. Continue to remind us of this, Lord, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name.
1: Uh, over the next few minutes, we're going to continue in our service with a time of reflection and response to the gospel that we've heard this morning. And we do that each Sunday, and we do it in a few ways. One is we're going to t- to come and to take communion. And when you do that, you'll come down the center aisle and go either way to the table, and you'll be served the bread and the wine or the juice, representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that's covered you. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you know... Mm-hmm. Jesus is your savior and he's made a way for you to be in right relationship with your father. Then we invite you to come and take with us and to remember Jesus and to proclaim him to one another as well. If you are with us and you are a Christian but you are kind of holding on to some guilt, some shame, some sin, some conflict with your brother, we would ask that you remember Jesus and ask that you hear what we're saying as we come and we take the body and the blood that we remember that we're covered and that we have freedom in Christ and would you resolve those things and lay them at the foot of the cross before you come and take. And if you're with us and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus then we would ask you to stay where you are not to exclude you but to ask you to hear again what we're saying hear the proclamation that we're making Jesus is making us right Jesus is reconciling us to our Father and we invite you to hear that also and to take Jesus in this time. Another thing that we will do during this time is we'll have a place for giving, which is right here in the back, where you can give your tithes and offerings if you're a part of uh, the work at Redemption Church. We invite you to do that as an act of worship. And then the band's going to play some songs, and this is a time for you to pray and to reflect and to respond to the gospel. If you need some prayer, if you'd like to know more about Jesus, if you'd like to respond to the gospel that you've heard this morning, there's people at the back. There's a couple tables with candles on it, people with orange lanyards. Uh, they'll, They'll pray with you if you'd like that, so we invite you to do that as well. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll move into that time. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that... We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has indwelled us that we can even begin to open our hearts to know and understand how great that love is for us. Knowing that we are totally separate from you, that we're unclean and broken and dirty. We thank you that you made a way for us to know you that you made a way for us to be in right relationship with you that you made a way for us to be called your sons and daughters that you made a way for us to be brothers and sisters and Father we pray that you would uh, continue to ignite a passion in us for you that as we see the way that you see we would love you that as we see the way that you see we would live the way that you would have us live that we would love the way you would have us love and that we would love each other and Father that our love of one another and our body at Redemption Church would be a proclamation to the city that we live in. Jesus Christ is the one and only way to reconciliation and uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit be at work uh, among us and in our city so we'd hear that. We've been praying for a few goals uh, that we have as a church and we're going to ask you even now for those Father that we would see 100 people saved this year at Redemption Church. We want to see such a work happen that we know it's beyond us. It's got to be you. We want to see your Holy Spirit move in that way. Father, use us. Make us proclaim like, with our mouth, with our life, that Jesus is Lord. And may you stir people up to know accept him and to come to be a brother and sister of ours in christ we pray that we would see the gospel advance in our city in that way we pray for our missional communities that you'd cause them to be strengthened that you call cause us to be discipled in them that you would cause them to replicate and that we would see churches plant churches out of this church father i pray for those who may not know you in this room i pray that you would give their that you would open the eyes of their heart that they would know the, the love that you have for them in this moment that they would respond. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.